So hey everyone, welcome back to the 11th episode of the Coffee Bean of Life. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about a postgraduate education in the arts or any sort of like tertiary education in the arts. So with us today, we have a very special teacher who is also my GP t- tutor. So Mrs. Ko, could you like give a short intro so that the audience knows who you are? I, yeah, this will be pretty brief. Right? So I am Mrs. Ko, right? otherwise known as, well, among my friends as Ruth, right? And um, I'm actually... And in terms of undergraduate right, studies, I also right, was an arts graduate, right? but at some point right, um, mid-career, right, I uh, went off right, and did a graduate diploma in art history and curatorship. Yeah, so I think on the basis of that, right, a teacher thought it was kind of interesting right, and yeah. decided that, okay, right, yeah, why don't we do this? Actually, for the first question, I was just curious, like, what made you choose like a diploma in like art, history, and creatorship in particular, not like any other form of arts, let's say, or any other branch of arts, and like, what do you choose to do in Australia? Sure, okay, let's uh, maybe just talk about the first question, like, why art and curatorship? Can I throw a question back at you guys, perhaps? Sure. So, did you ever have a book, right, at one stage of life that, like, fascinated you, that you were very obsessed with, perhaps? Yeah, for sure, I mean, uh, maybe younger, I guess, like stuff like, I don't know, Harry Potter comes to mind, like right off the top of my head. Something else says Hunger Games. Okay, yeah. Well, like yeah, Percy like Jackson yeah. series. Percy Jackson for you, yeah. okay. So, okay, when I was very young, where for me it was uh, Reader's Digest Illustrated Book of Dogs. Uh, first, that had nothing to do with arts at all. Right? That lasted for maybe two years or so, where I memorized all the dog species oh sorry not the species the breeds right and in my 20s the book that was particularly fascinating for me right, was uh, gardener's art through the ages right, which happens to be an art history um 101 sort of like textbook right and uh, that really opened my eyes to this sense that well you know art as a product right, of human culture, right, how varied it was right, and the potential it has to reveal so much about the way uh, society functions, right? the things that it values, what it believes in. Right. So um, at, at that point of what you might call a quarter-life crisis, right, I um, was generally very, very restless. Right? I, I did share a bit with Atrijo's uh, class that I wanted a break from it all. Right, and all including right, um, my work right, at that point in time in education right, um, and family as well. Right, and mid-career then, right, having worked right, a number of years, right, I also had right, my own money, right, which meant that right, um, you're not tied to right, mom and dad and what they uh, perceive right, um, right, is right, they want, right, because if, if you're on a daddy mummy scholarship, right, um, you do want to respect right, their um, their inputs. Right. So I wanted to take a break from education, right, and right, that obsession right, with uh, gardeners right, was one thing, and a bunch of other things that I've been reading at that point in time um, included also. Should I share this? Uh, maybe I let me see if I can. Yeah, so um, Jinghao, right? Right, Jinghao is asking 
right? Yeah. Um, is that whether there's an artwork that particularly fascinated uh, me, right? So, um, at that point in time, right, um, before I went on the, uh, before I left Australia, right, one of the um, interesting artworks right, that struck me was uh, Anofini Wedding, right? and, and that was what it used to be called and subsequently uh, um, as more art historians right, looked into the uh, painting, but they weren't so sure after all that it was a wedding that was uh, being portrayed right? and in this case right, because of some of the uh, symbols, right, some of the uh, interesting um, choices where right, the artist made right um so for instance right the dog where right, as a symbol of uh, fidelity right um but uh, at the same time what else were there 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 was some so uh, i think one of the issues right, was with the um let, what do you call this the chandelier right in the background right and how um Amongst a bunch of other things, uh, the chandelier in the background right, was striking in that. Right, was it that the lights were right, on the, or the candles right, um, that were on the side right, of the uh, gentleman here right, um, are lit up, right, but the candles on the side right, of uh, what was then presumed to be the uh, wife right, that right, this gentleman was, uh, was wedding, right, why are they all extinguished? Right. And all the theories, right, uh, or rather this particular theory right, was quite striking to me, right, that um, fundamentally, right, perhaps right, the image itself right, did not really portray a wedding, right, but uh, could well be a piece right, to memorialize right, a wife right, who had right, passed away. So, yeah, so... So... Just reading about right some of uh, how how much right uh symbolism right how much detail right an image right uh could potentially contain right, was quite fascinating to me right and um yeah together with whatever else right I have been reading right and um I'm not sure whether like, maybe this might be interesting to use a uh uh. Vignette maybe right from family history as well, right? That um possibly right also right um contributed right to my interest in art as well. Right, so um my grandfather, right, um, who came right from right somewhere in northern China, right in Shandong, where right, he was a businessman, right? And right, maybe I should stop sharing so I can actually see people's faces. Give me a moment. No, I can't see you still. I think in I think okay. you press the people indicator in the top right corner. In the top right column. Ah, okay. All right. Gotcha. Yeah. So my gran my granddad, right, um, who came down from China right, as a businessman, right, as um, uh, as many people right, uh, did right at that point in time, right, immigrating from different parts of uh, Asia, right here. Right, so he was a businessman, right, and he came here. Right, he set up his business, right, um, and he his business went bust. <laughs> but before his business went bust, right, he uh, he amassed right, enough wealth right, to start collecting right, a little bit of art, right, and um, 
so when he passed away or whatever uh, works he had left right? I, I think by that time right, he probably lost a lot of the wealth already right but um some of th uh, these works that he had left right, i think they were largely uh, chinese works right by the artist uh Shipei hong right? he tends to be quite well known for um his horse paintings right? so when he passed away um i'm told that uh, this is family law right um how accurate this is, I'm not sure, right? but um, I've told right, by my dad that well, um, one relative apparently told the rest of the family, oh, God, you guys will not be able to understand right, uh, the art, right? hence, right, um, you know, it, it, it ought to belong right, to us. Right? <laughs> and right, supposedly, right, presumptuously right, um, uh, appropriated right, um, this uh, family right, uh, inheritance. Right, um, so, Growing up then, um, just like once or twice, right, my dad would recount this right, uh, to us. He's probably a bit bitter about it. Right? Hopefully he's forgotten it by now. So many years has passed. But it, it didn't make me think, like, what is so inaccessible right, about right, art right, that right, um, this relative right, should think that right, my dad right, and right, um, in extension then right, his family right, should not be able to uh, access or understand it. Right, and and maybe right, part of me also right, wanted to rubbish that line of thinking. Yeah. So so this is a variety of things, right? Obsessive uh, obsessions, right, at that point, right, um in time, right, in my life, right, and uh, various right, little things, right? And and the freedom, I guess, right, at that point to uh to walk away, right? If, for a while right, and indulge in something that I thought I might enjoy. So that's okay. why. Really interesting. Actually, I'm curious. Yeah. You know how like different countries, like the art programs at different countries, like in universities, right, tend to like vary mm -hmm. a lot, right? Because different countries have different histories and cultures. So was right. it like, related to the reason why you chose to study in Australia? It was it something about yeah. Australian culture that actually no, <laughs> no, yeah. So it. Uh, the decision to go to Australia and specifically um, where I went was the Australian Uni uh, National University, ANU. Uh, um, that was more to do with uh, family. Right. So um, I wanted a place that, the, the, okay, a bit more context than I have shared with Atrejo's class as well, that uh, growing up right at in the generation right, where um, people have been told, right, stop at two. Right? So I'm one of two siblings. Right? I'm not sure about you guys. Right? I guess the parenting is a bit different right, right now, perhaps very more progressive. Right? Um, but uh, my, my dad, right, coming from a generation right, who had to share their parents' attention right, with right, seven or eight right, other children, right, didn't get a lot of attention. That's so... Um, Consequently, right, um, he thought that it was best right, to give right, loads of attention right, to his right, two beloved right, kids. Right? Um, but as we know, right, helicopter parenting is not always appreciated. It can sometimes be suffocating, right? um, and although right, you, you know that they do it out of love. Right? So, um, so for me then, right, even as a young adult, right, there was uh, that consideration right, um, that the moment that my uh, Parents were aware, especially as a female, right? Unfortunately, uh, um, so 
uh, they tended to be more uh, protective and um, for yeah I applied right to the university without right, um, telling my parents right, because right, so I'm above the age of 18 already but the moment that I knew about it right, then I, uh, there was a lot of nagging and um, so ultimately I thought okay so how can we right, find a place right, that would or, uh, a place that would help me right, be out of Singapore right, and still offer the illusion right, of closeness to home. Um, so uh, in Sydney, right, we had some uh, not so distant relatives. Right, um, that's also why I didn't go to Sydney, right, although I'm sure there's a very strong program there. Right, um, so yeah, so long and short of it is right, that's why I chose Australia. Right, um, also cost-wise, right, I did want to be able to foot the bill uh, um, without right, too much right, uh, worry. Right? So you know, Australia being pretty close right, and right, currency okay. Right? And, um, and in the case that I ever needed to use the qualification in any way, so the very practical part of me, I did go to the QS rankings. Yeah. And at that time, yeah, ANU, um, in terms of uh, the QS rankings were right, um, ranked fairly high, right, even um, in terms of the arts and humanities. And um, I did want right, a, a kind of a more international experience right, and they scored fairly highly in terms of the international outlook right, as well as the teaching. So yeah, that was partly why. Actually, this is not related to the podcast, but I remember you told us like the story in class for her semester. I felt like really inspired by it because I guess like I was at a similar stage like in terms of having to like maybe take more bolder steps for my own just education mm -hmm. and stuff. But yeah, that was just like something I wanted to tell you. Mm -hmm. and it was quite inspiring. But anyway, moving on. Uh, Jing Hao, do you yeah. have any question they want to ask next? Uh, not right now actually. Do you want me to just okay, take the I'll... next one? Yeah, sure. You just. You can just okay. Um. Well, the next question we have in the list is what What was your favorite and your least favorite as well, like course or class while you were doing your diploma? Um. Okay. Um. I guess there were a lot of favorite moments rather than uh. uh classes, right? Um. Although, uh, arguably, some of the classes facilitated uh, these moments. So let me see. Okay, so so there's this one class right called actually right in order to uh, remember all this right, I had to go take out my old laptop, which thankfully was still working, right, and dig up right, all the files and details because I couldn't remember. Right, but yeah, the name of this course is called the Art and Politics of Collecting. So there's a bit of like the curatorship uh, bit there, and there we were looking at how collections right um. The way they are curated, the way they are arranged, right, uh, present, right, um, reveal a certain narrative, right, and and possibly from there, then right, um, create your own theoretical uh, 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 collection, right, and that gave me a chance, right, to uh, examine the narrative arising from one particular uh, collection, right, in a Belgium museum. Let me see. Okay, so maybe I will share that with you um are you familiar with this book called uh king leopold's gold oh no, sorry ghost 
King Leopold's Ghost. This is a painting or? No, it's actually a, it's a book. Oh, no. Um, I'm, not very, I'm not familiar with it. Hang on. Uh, not that famous anyway. I will find. Okay, I should show you a window. Perhaps? Window? No. Okay. Okay, my entire screen? Maybe. Okay. Let's share the entire screen so that I can find. I will show you where is it. Oops, it's not here. I can uh -huh. I can pull up a wiki page. Okay, don't worry. Um, it should be somewhere here. Okay, I'll use this one. Yeah, so I found a presentation from a uh, gazillion years ago. But wow. anyway, oh, this isn't like okay. Anyway, okay, I'll I'll give you the background. Right, um, this is the Royal Museum of Central Africa, right? Um, in the Tiberian, uh, Brussels, right? Brussels is uh, in Belgium, right? And uh, this is a museum that exhibits right, colonial era um, artifacts. And why I was, why I wanted to uh, do a bit of research in this right, and uh, present on it right, was because of, again, right, uh, reading, uh, some reading, and right, this is a book. Yeah, you can look this book up, actually. It's called uh, King Leopold's Gold. Uh, ah, I keep saying gold. Sorry, guys. Right, King Leopold's Ghost, right? And it, tells the horrible history right, of um, Belgium's right, uh, uh, colonization right, of uh, Congo. Right? And uh, I mean, if you look this up, right, you'll probably find images right, of uh, uh, Congolese uh, persons right, um, with amputated hands. Right? And um, that was part of the colonial legacy, right? That's uh, the brutality right, of the Belgian colonizers. Uh, um, so, okay, I'm coming back to the slides. Hopefully, you can see them. Right, and so, on that basis, right, I was quite interested right, in um, this museum's right, uh, collection right, of uh, artworks and artifacts, right? And um, how did they right, present right, the um, story of right, uh, colonization? Because right? it, it was a it was glory, right, for right the uh, Belgium Empire, right, the fact right, of their uh, their hold, right, their um, subjugation, right, of uh, Congo. So let's see. Um, yeah, right. So in this, uh, yeah, I see. Okay. So in this presentation, right, I was looking at right, some of the uh, historical uh, background right, to the one of the slides more about right, the before right, the museum was uh, established, right, um, what actually happened right, uh, leading to right, the establishment of the museum. Right? So if you can see, there were African contingents. Oops. Maybe I can just duplicate this. That, that the Belgium flu, right? Oops, sorry. That the Belgium flu, that Belgium flu, right, into right, uh, their country, right, from Congo, right, as exhibits, right, so human exhibits, right, um, 
at this international exhibition. Right? And that was prior to the establishment of uh, the RMCA. Right? And within right, the uh, museum, right, once it had been established, right, they had a significant collection right, of this uh, Chris Elephantine uh, work by Belgian sculptors. And if you look at the works, right, there is ivory, right, but at the same time, right, there's also right, all these right, um, other metals, right, bronze, right, and uh, the symbols, right, you've got right, snakes, right, savage, right, creatures uh, around them, right, and of course the ivory, right, came from, right, Africa, uh, um, but the works in themselves right, um, weren't just, uh, didn't just right, engage Africa in the sense of right, uh, using materials right, from there, right, but there were these notions of right, light right, and darkness right, and right, the civilization, white men brains right, and the savagery right, of the black men. And in particular rooms right, of the RMCA, right, you will see these statues Right, depicting right, Congo, um, sorry, Congo, uh, de depicting Belgium, right, bringing civilization to Congo. Right, see whether I can zoom in on this, right? So there's this um, gold statue, right, set high up, right, in the recess of the wall. I don't know if you can see that. Right in the middle, there's a bearded Caucasian man. And he's holding and right beneath, right, looking up to him, right, as the young right, African. And, and there's an image of slavery as well. You can see this one. Can you see the image? Yeah, we can. Yeah. Out the outlines, but yeah. Oh, it's a bit blurry. Right on this. So up here, right, you've got a slaver. Right, and below. You can see a naked uh, slave that he's holding on to. I thought it's quite interesting, right, that the slaver, right, you, you can see, I don't know if you can see what he's wearing on his head. It looks like a turban of some sort. Is it from like Arab, like, yes. Oh. So when slavery right, um, is presented, then, right, the ugliness of it, right, um, it's attributed, right, to the other, right, the Arab right, uh, race, right, rather than to the white men. Right, although, right, obviously, right, Belgium was right at that time, right, exploiting, right, and right, involved right, very much, right, in the exploitation and uh, slavery right, of right, the Congolese. So, uh, so in that same room as well. Right, on the ground, right, you've got depictions of African people, and that's quite significant as well. So that the image of the white man right, is up and in gold, right, and at the bottom, right, you've got in crouching right, positions, right, representations right, of Congolese peoples, right, Congolese tribes. So. Yeah, so it's a, there's just a snippet where I should probably get all of this. And, and uh, my point there right, being that 
Right, um, some of these historical right, inequalities right, were being justified right, by the way right, that art was presented. Right, um, and, and it does raise a good question as to well, what are the narratives then right, um, that we see right, that, um, that curation right, helps to tell right, when each time you walk into a gallery or a museum, um, particularly if it is state funded. Right, um, yeah, so, right, um, so a bit dark there, right, but I did enjoy right, the ability to um, yeah, spend some time right, and examining right, these issues right, in that particular uh, course. That's one, yeah. And something else that I uh, quite enjoyed right, in my time in Australia was um, uh, one of the modules I took was like, it wasn't an actual model, it was an internship. I, I think at that time I was a bit um, in two minds about it, right? Because I had hoped that um, I'd be able to intern with a um, bigger organization perhaps, right? But have, having been in Singapore right, prior to that, right, I didn't really have time to arrange right, for a uh, better and better comma internship. Right? So at, at the end of the day, um, I interned with a small gallery on campus. It's called the Drill Hall Gallery. Right? But what I enjoyed most about it was that um, very serendipitously, is there such a word? Um, there, there was a collection right, that had traveled from South Africa to uh, the drill hall, right? And um, this collection right, um, was uh, making its way right, across the world. Right? After, after Canberra, they, uh, they moved on right, to London. Right? But while I was in Canberra, right, the drill hall hosted this particular um, exhibit, and it was called Home and Away. Right? It was an exhibit um, of a variety of uh, of two sets right, of works, right? And the first set right, were works by South African, uh, Black South African artists, right, which in the 70s, um, Australian diplomats right, uh, collected right, for themselves. Uh, um, some of them collected it right, because uh, they were afraid right, these works would be destroyed right, by um, the apartheid regime. Uh, um, some of them collected it uh, partially because of that right, and also because they thought right, these works right, were, uh, were very good right, and they took them out of the country. Right, um, and post-apartheid, right, um, uh, one Australian diplomat, uh, Diane Johnston, she she started then right, the initiative to return these works right, to South Africa right now that it was uh, safe to. And uh, today it resides at one of the universities at, uh, in South Africa. But so home and away, right, that particular exhibition um, was, uh, yeah, so, um, so half the works right, were by right, these uh, South African apartheid uh, period uh, painters, right, uh, sculptors, Right. Some of them were protest works, right? So, 
kind of like right, uh, Black Lives Matter before right, the current right, Black Lives Matter uh, movement. Uh, and then the other half of the works were by international artists right, who um, were in support right, uh, of the um, anti-apartheid right, movement and used their art right, to express right, that support. So, so that was quite exciting right, for me um, to be able to uh, help right, uh, write a little bit of the education material for that. Do you want to see the some of those ones? Sure. Actually, right, I was like thinking yeah. about that. I noticed like, it occurs to me that, like, you know, you mentioned like the Black Lives Matter thing, right? In some ways, mm -hmm. like I especially in the sense that I guess you can say that there's no barrier to like language. In like the in like some ways like how like every language is a barrier in the sense that not everyone speaks a certain language, right? Out of like like goes past a barrier in that sense. Which I think makes it even more useful as a tool for like okay, like trying to like display a certain type of emotion or a certain event in history. So I thought that was pretty quite cool. Mm. I guess right, um on the one hand, right, um one still needs right some context, right, to understand right certain artworks, right? But yeah, I do certainly agree with you that um I can be very visceral and appeal on a level right, that um, transcends a language. Let me see if yeah, I'll just point to my entire screen because I'm so bad at tech. Do you feel like the familiar with like historical outlooks, right? Do you feel like that the average person sort of loses some of the nuance related to it because they may not know like the full context behind those outlooks? Like whenever like average people go into museum, right? Not a lot of them may not know like the full history of like whatever event those things are depicting. So like, mm. what do you think about that? Average people, right? That suggests they are above average people. Um, but I guess you know that's what curators are for, right? Curators, uh, tours, right? Um, explanatory ma uh, materials. Or give me a moment. Let me see if I can find what I'm looking for. Is it here? Maybe it's here. Oh, okay. Yeah, I could not right, find right, uh, the materials right, for a long time when I was searching. Right, today, I think I probably lost it. Right, but uh, one particular uh, Australian artist right, has preserved right, this set of right, materials right, on his on his web page, right? So thanks to him. Okay, let me see if I can find an interesting one. Right? So this is the educational resource that I helped create. Uh, Victor Gordon's right, the artist whose website right, preserve right this resource. Let's see if there's an interesting one. This one's by a, a French artist. Hmm. Yeah, not sure where he feels from, but this is an international artist. Right? Um, this image, yeah, this painting I thought was quite interesting. I don't know if you recognize right, the illusion. Um, you know, in uh, Western uh, imagery, right, that's the image of right, St. George right, and the dragon. And you've got the right, saints by right, slaying the dragon, whereas right, Jose Gamera right, paints right the black man right as the uh, hero here is slaying the right, white right, uh, monster. 
a like gorilla. Oh, okay. This doesn't capture right, all the images, but some of the paintings right um were um quite solemn right, in the sense that you know, maybe something like this right in the sense that where right, they depicted right the violence right that had been uh, carried out right against right anti-apartheid uh, or rather uh, against right uh, black people right in the apartheid era. So. And there's some links back to GP, obviously, where we've had right, questions on whether um, artworks right, that have been removed right, from their places of origin, right, um, should they be returned? So um, overlaps right, with right, what I'm, whatever I'm doing in education now. Yep. Okay. Actually, speaking about education, right, do you feel like, like doing a, like, the diploma in arts like, has sort of like, impacted your teaching style? Like before doing a like diploma after doing a diploma, do you feel like there was like any change in your teaching style in terms of like how you approach GP lessons? Um, actually, you know, before I did uh, before I left right, to do the diploma in uh, art history, I was a lit teacher. Yeah. So yeah, actually, I moved between yeah from GP to lit, right? And then when I came back, right, I went back to literature again, right, but maybe. Maybe the seed right of this um this you know the the kind of themes right that uh recurred then right as I uh researched right looked at some of these uh artworks that we've been talking about then but perhaps right that made me want to to do something right or at least right teach a subject right that uh gives me um more scope right to look at the connections right the many right connections right um across uh issues right uh, objects yeah and whereas uh, literature where well, i really enjoyed it um and i mean i still do although i don't really have yeah, i should probably right spend more time reading i had much more time to do that last year well with the cb and all Right, um but uh yeah with lit then because you go so deep into a certain set right of text right and you are um and pretty much for those three four years where you are teaching that particular paper um yeah right it, it's just like these three or four books that you your teaching revolves around it, it can feel towards the end of those three or four years right, a bit like your world has narrowed down right, to this uh, period where the gothic right, or whatever it is yeah so i guess my gp gives me a chance right, to go a bit broader pros and cons are. that's cool Actually, like that's pretty much like most of the question in terms of like how your experience was like in terms of like art and how it has like affected your teaching all that. So like I was just curious, like what do you think like can be done in like our society to like sort of like shift the views away from like the art, from like the arts being like the not so good like degree to pursue, for like tertiary education like in some extent. Because I feel like especially in, like a place in Singapore, right, a lot of students like feel like the arts isn't worth pursuing because they're worried about let's say employment opportunities or like societal views and stuff like that. 
it's like what do you think needs to change fundamentally for like a shift in like i guess like general like public's like public opinion to change mm, this is a little bit tied up with that question about right, whether there are good employment opportunities in the arts right mm, yeah so i guess we can group them uh, together um I mean, GP, you always ask, right? What are the assumptions, right? Underlying, right? This question. And one of the assumptions, right, is that, well, you know, arts are the arts, right? And right, the sciences are the sciences, right? All these disciplines, right, are uh, so separate, right? And if you do um, this particular science, right, it will lead you down, right, career pathway, right? A, right? Um, and if you do, uh, this particular, uh, this other science will lead you down career pathway B, whereas when you do the arts, right, it will lead you down career pathway C and D, and never the twain shall meet. Right, but um, that sort of categorical thinking, right, which right, um, arguably actually I grew up with, right, because of uh, my parents' generation, right, and the nature right, of the um, education. Uh, system as it was then right um but as i'm sure right um teachers or right, educators were have increasingly right told you right and our government as well right um that that sort of category uh, categorical thinking uh, probably needs to be upended right today um keep talking about right the fuka world right and um there's so much change right, in the last few decades, right? In the last two years, right? With um, AI, right? With uh, COVID, and how do the arts right, feature in all these? I would venture to say that it's part of that multidisciplinary experience, right? That you want individuals to have, right? Not that um, we are saying, right? Um, that you ought right, to go down right, this particular route, right? but just because right, you're doing something that's arts related now, right, that's, um, well, perhaps uh, as an individual, then right, um, you need to be thinking that when preparing for a job, right, that is not necessarily constrained right, by what I'm doing right now, right? And perhaps, right, my future job or jobs, right, because careers are increasingly fluid now, right, might be found at the intersection right, of the arts right, and something else. Right? And how can I create, I mean, if, if I am deeply passionate about this particular discipline, right, um, how can I create opportunities for myself right, through it? Right? How um, can I perhaps meld right, this particular interest right, with another set of skills right, that I'm interested in pursuing. So, um, like, okay, this, this is not quite right, the arts, right, but when you talk about, uh, I've shared right, with right, uh, your class right, about right, and one of my ex-students right, who started the Continentalist. I think, no, you don't remember that. I, I think right, you um, it. Yeah. yeah. So, so you've got an individual right who's come out of a discipline like history right um combining it right with something else that they've picked up right data visualization 
right, and turning right that right into a career right for herself right and a business right that's employing other people. So so it's kind of a roundabout right answer right to your question. Right, um, but I think that moving forward, then um, it's useful to see the arts as complementary right, to all these other right, career pathways right, um, in terms of a variety of things, I guess, right, helping uh, for me then, right, um, helping me to see right, um, the range of connections right, across right, yeah, uh, or between right, objects right, and right, uh, different right, uh, topics and issues right, um, pertinent to the world today. Right, um, oops, I've lost my train of thought, right, but uh, point being then right, that right, the job situation, right, um, the uh, career right, um, pathways right, today are increasingly fluid. Right, um, it helps right, to have a broad basis, right, uh, diverse right, um, influences, right, because that's where right, perhaps where you'll find a niche. Actually, that's very true because, like, uh, if you look at like some of the twenty-first century skills, right, that are, like said to be like in becoming increasingly important, like some of them, like creativity and stuff, right, are something that can only really be cultivated by like studying the arts. Because if you look at it, like a lot of the sciences and math that we do, right, mostly train our analytical skills. So in that sense, like being able to like do something related to the arts, maybe as like a minor or just like picking up something mm. interesting related to the arts, can really help to boost your creativity. Mm. Which is, I feel like, is becoming an increasingly important skill in like the world of engineers and data scientists anyway. Like the example you mentioned of your student you had. And like, since we've already like taken up a lot of the time, we're coming to a final question for today. And that is like, what is the advice for like future art students? I, I guess, you know, it would be right, follow your passion right, with caveats. Right? And the caveat being, right, um, being, being willing to adapt, right, to pivot, right, mm. and yeah, mm. not, yeah, yeah, to be, be aware, right, of the practical challenges, right, um, yeah, I mean, when we talk about, right, um, people interested in the arts, right, the arts is very broad, of course, right, are, are you talking about, um, going into, uh, something very specialized like uh, ballet dancer right? um, if you're talking about um yeah and, and we know for certain right that right, with uh with covid uh, um and within uh, with the shutting of borders and such right um and the uh, i'm not sure if you're familiar with this term the lipstick effect Right, the notion that right, in times of right, economic crisis, right, um, people are less willing, right, to, uh, people, are, uh, people tend to spend right, on consumer goods right, that are cheaper. Right? So, um, so perhaps all these right, affect right, arts practitioners, right? but if you're talking about like, getting a broad-based education in the arts in general, right, um, that is certainly right, uh, useful right, in the larger sense of things. 
Mm-hmm. I want to show you something as well, you know. I don't know whether you have time for that. I mean, it's up to like, you. We aren't really okay. in a rush. Actually, also like send us the pictures mm-hmm. so that our audience can see as well. I can just upload the pictures into the video like as an overlay. The slides are pretty like perfectly done. Ha ha ha. Um, I I guess I could send it to you if you could. Yeah, you you decide what you want to do with it. I can just extract some of the pictures from the slides and just put it there directly. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to share this right because you know I found this artist found right um in uh, when I was in Australia and I was just dying for a chance right to share about him or present about him, but um none of my courses were related to this at all. So okay. This is Hubert Dupont, and you talk about thinking out of the box. People, you know, you've got artists collaborating right, with right, uh, fashion designers, etc. And here's an artist who's collaborated right, with a force of nature, like a little caddis fly. So he thought, like, okay, well, who are the natural craftsmen, right? In, in nature, right? Can I work right with these insects, right? Who typically use found materials, right, to right, create right, their cases, right, before they turn into caddisflies, right? And he he put them in an environment right, where they had right, only right, gold and right, precious materials, right, to work with, right, and through to form, they created some really right, lovely like, cases, which if they were for sale, I would very happily buy. This is just amazing. That's some of his work. Yep, like, that's what I wanted to show you. Watch the video if you want to. That's actually I'll really unique. It. Can you like, send us a link for the article later? I can put in the description. Yeah. Thank you for indulging me. <laughs> That's actually like one of the more interesting podcasts we've done, to be honest. Because I feel like, I guess because I'm also a science student, and actually most of us here are science students, right? I feel like we tend to like sort of like, actually that's not true. Like, I guess we have had a variety of guests, but I felt like today's one was yeah. quite interesting in general. Because like, some of the things like we saw here, like, are something that I think like we won't discover by ourselves, you know? Like, it's not like we go out and search mm-hmm. for like something about like, the Central African Museum in like Belgium or something. So I mm-hmm. felt like the sharing was quite interesting. So thank you very much for joining us today, Mrs. Kilt. And Hi, Samia. As usual, I think I'll just end off with a quote. Okay, this one isn't super relevant to the discussion, but I really like it. It's from the movie The Dead Poet Society. And it says that medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. So basically, even though the arts aren't necessary to sustain life, they sure make it a lot better. So that's it for today's episode. I'll include as much of the details and pictures as possible that Mrs. Kurt shared with us today. And thank you guys for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to see like more teachers or like just other guests, be sure to leave who you want to see down in the comments below. And see you guys for the next episode. Bye-bye. Okay, thanks for teaching. See you guys.